I'd like to start the message this morning on uh, just reading some quotes, and these are, these are uh, 10 or 11 of the most well-known quotes about the home, and they are made by well-known people who lived in the past, who live currently, who live in different parts of the world, so it's quite an uh, interesting uh, collection of sayings about the home, but it reflects this, and this is, this is kind of uh, the important point here, that people, whether they're saved or not, and no matter when they lived or where they lived in the world, the home is an important part of life. So here are some quotes. A man travels the world over in search of what he needs and returns home to find it. George Moore. The strength of a nation derives from the integrity of the home. Confucius. Nothing is better than going home to a family and eating good food and relaxing. Irina Shaikh. Gratitude, unlock, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. Melody Beattie. Home is where one starts from. T.S. Eliot. Home is a shelter from storms, all sorts of storms. William Bennett. The ache for home lives in all of us. Maya Angelou. Home is the place where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Robert Frost. Home is the nicest word there is. Laura Ingalls Wilder. Find joy in everything you choose to do. Every job, relationship, home. It is your responsibility to love it or change it. Chuck Palahniuk. I don't know who half of these people are, so I'm just... Uh... And then the last one, home is where the heart is. Pliny the Elder. Now, uh, just to, just to kind of emphasize how pervasive the idea of home is, uh, Mike and I were coming back from soccer game, game, and we heard this song. And because I had this on my mind, it just kind of stood out to me, but the chorus went like this. No matter where I go, there's no place like home. So there it is, you know, just uh, people singing about it, talking about it. Home is really important. When we consider what's happening in Ukraine, the travesty is not just that people are dying. Of course, that is a huge travesty. But part of the travesty is that people are being displaced or removed from their homes, and those homes are being destroyed in some portions of Ukraine. And that is, that is just as traumatic as anything else. And we know, that, uh, we know how uh, impactful uh, hearing about the refugee crisis and, and all of the people that have been displaced from their, their homes. That is a travesty. The home is an important place. Now, it is so important. Uh, I mean, God made us physical beings, right? So I'm a physical being, and because I'm a physical being, I take up space. Now, we all take up space. Some of us take up more space than others, and some of us take us less space than others, but we are physical beings, and we take up space. And because we take up space, there is a place that we are to go to that we occupy that we call this, this thing called home. We call it home. And that is where I can go, at least in theory, to unplug and unwind and get what it is that I need or what it was intended to give. This is, this is not a new idea. As a matter of fact, we can find it in the Bible. There is not... I, 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 
challenge you on this. There's not a person that you can look for in the Bible who did not have a place, except for maybe Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the idea of the place was so important uh, in the mind of Jesus that when people wanted to follow him, one of them in particular, he said this, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to put his head. In other words, everything in creation has its place, but if you follow me, you have to give up your home to follow after me. So anyways, we go back to Adam and Eve. God made Adam and Eve, and then he made this garden, and it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, he says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So he, he uh, made the man, made this garden, and he put them in it to guard it and to take care of it and to tend it and to eat from its uh, provision. I, I could just go person after person, but I'm just going to be selective here. So the next person is Jacob. You remember uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So he is one of the, the, the fathers of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And Jacob had some trouble at home, and he had to flee for his life. I'll come back to that in a moment. But as he is fleeing, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through 22. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, there it is, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So we'll notice in that passage, here Jacob is fleeing, and he makes two references to the home. One, he wants to come back to his, and two, God has met him there, and this is going to be God's house. He's going to build an altar there. Abraham, God promised to Abraham the land of the Amorites and the Canaanites. Now you remember, Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees, and God came to him one night and said, I want you to leave your family and your home, and I want you to go to a place that I show you. Well, he took him to the land of Canaan, and he said, Abraham, I am going to give this land to you and to your children. The people of Israel, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt with all of those miracles and the parting of the sea, when they came into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, he divided the land into 12 portions, one for each tribe of Israel. And the land that was given to them was so important that it is called their inheritance in Deuteronomy chapter 12. And it says that they could not lose their land. They were not to marry in such a way as to lose their land. They could not sell it. They could not give their land away to another tribe. It was theirs and they had to keep it. That was the people of Israel. King David, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7, it says that David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David, and he dwelt there. And the city of, Di- uh, the city of Zion, the city of David, uh, Mount Zion there, became an extremely, extremely important place. That is where Jerusalem is. That is where the temple was built and the place of that. Uh, is important even to this day and will continue to be into the end. You remember Ruth? Ruth uh, was a Moabitess and Naomi came from Israel over to where she was and Naomi lost everything. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 21 it says this. Now this is Naomi 
mourning for the loss of everything. She had lost everything. And, and this is what it, it says. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now, now here's the important part. Even though that's kind of a negative verse, Naomi is brought back home, even though she has nothing. But we know the story, right? Ruth has come back with her, and Ruth and uh, Naomi are blessed by God, and they are reestablished there. And as a matter of fact, Ruth becomes um, the great-grandmother of David, the king. In the New Testament, at the end of the book of Romans, it says this concerning some homes. There are some homes where important things were taking place. And I'm just reading a portion. You remember Romans from two weeks ago where I read all of those names? Well, this is the same passage there. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And then uh, New Testament believers in general... In 2 John chapter 10, the Apostle John is exhorting the believers to be careful of what and who they allow into their homes. It says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, this is the the true doctrine about Jesus Christ, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this, this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. So we are not to allow those things to come into our home. We are to give a certain measure of protection for it. So important is this. Now now look, I don't know if you've considered the resurrection, but um, we're not just going to be like little puffy clouds floating around in heaven for all of eternity. Our heavenly experience, if you will, or our eternal experience will be following the resurrection from the dead. So I'm going to be raised from the dead One day, and I'll no longer have some of these health things that I have to deal with or these weight things that I have to deal with or whatever things that we're dealing with. And if you're not dealing with them, you're young still. But I'll be resurrected. I will have a body. I will still be physical in a sense. I will still occupy occupy space. And Jesus says this about that in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in in me. In my Father's house are many, now in some pl- mansions, that's right. It says mansions, and some versions says rooms, and some, some people interpret this to be, well, you know, it's, you know, God's got his big house, and he's going to attach little, little uh, rooms or houses for each one of us, but it doesn't matter. The point is this. Jesus is preparing a place for me, and when it is time He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So, I've got a heavenly place awaiting for me. Now, as we have seen, everything in this world, all of our relationships has been touched by sin. So, we all know about that. We've all got these... uh, sinful things that have uh, disrupted our relationships and uh, you know we all have our history and we all have our baggage and we're all dealing with our things now and we're unsure sometimes about what's going to happen tomorrow we've all got it because of sin and because sin has touched all of our relationships i also know that sin has touched this idea of the home this idea of the place 
So if we consider, again, some of the examples, and again, I'm not going to go through all of them, and, and understand that when we're talking about the home and we're talking about the place, we're, it's connected to the relationships as well because, you know, these are the people that I'm living with and, you know, I'm living with them in this place. But it's more than that. My home is my place, and there are some things that it needs as far as attention goes that are, in above, are above or in addition to the relationships that make up that home. So you had, God had put Adam and Eve in the garden, but you know the story, Adam and Eve sinned, and here we all are, right? They got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Isaac, again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I just read about Jacob having had to flee from his home. Well, his father, Isaac, this is what happened to him, and in his home, he was tricked by his wife. This was Isaac. Isaac is tricked by his wife and tricked by Jacob. Jacob and Esau, who are twins, They become mortal enemies. Jacob has to flee, and he can't return home for over 20 years. It's 20 years until God answers that prayer and allows him to return back to his father's house. That's Isaac. David had trouble in his home too. King David, a man after God's own heart. King David's oldest son raped his half-sister and was killed by his half-brother. That half-brother, Absalom, revolted against his dad, King David, and kicked him out of his home and out of Jerusalem. And David remained away from home until Absalom was killed and the rebellion was squashed. The people of Israel, when God had given them the land and he divided it up between the 12 tribes, he cautioned them or he exhorted them And I want to show you this verse. This is Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. He says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them that the land, notice it's talking about the land, their place, their home, that the land where I'm bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. Now isn't that kind of graphic there? And we all know the story, right? They came into the land and even though Uh, God was very gracious and patient with them. They continued to sin and continued to sin until the land vomited them out and the Babylonians came and took them captive. And the restoration back to that land was a big deal. New Testament believers. Now, I'm going to read a passage from 2 Timothy. I have some of the verses up here. I'm going to read this passage from 2 Timothy. And uh, at first blush, you might look at it and say, well, you know, it's, uh, men are going to be like this in the last time, referring to all humankind. But that's not what the passage is talking about. The passage is really specific. Men are like this, and women are like this, and this is what's happening. Now, this passage is not flattering. It's not flattering for men, nor is it flattering for women. This is what it says here. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For males... If I can translate it like that, will be, now here it is, guys, look out, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. I wish I could stop right there. Without self control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong. <laughs> haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people, turn away. Hey, isn't that some good advice there? If you know anybody that's 
full of all those bad things. Just stay away from them, right? All right, this sort are those who... Now, here, here's where it comes to the home. They creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. So I told you this wasn't flattering for the guys or for the girls, but this is how it is in the world with sinfulness. Guys are horrible, and women allow them to trick them. They creep into households. Now, when we consider this, and we consider all of the brokenness of the home. There are some important things, I think, and, and, and I've, I've kind of put these suggestions together as far as uh, what can we do about it. Because when God created the home, He created, and I'm going to go through this, uh, these points as we, as we go through this here. It says that, that God has created the home for a purpose. In other words, we have this place to live, and it is an important thing, even in our Christianity and our relationship to God. And so my first suggestion here is this, that we make our homes more of a priority. That we make our homes more of a priority. Now, I say that because in our society today, the home is kind of relegated to a lower position. It is not as important as some other things. So our bank accounts are more important than we, the place that we live a lot of times. Now, this is in practice. Because you remember all those quotes at the beginning. When it really comes down to it, people understand that home is an important place. But our society in its day-by-day pursuit of things just kind of pushes what is important aside until, you know, maybe you lose it or you realize that you, what you had there was better than you thought or whatever. Um, uh, the, the, the day-to-day grind just kind of blinds our eyes to the importance of our place, our homes. So let us make a higher priority of it. Let us not make our jobs more important than our homes. Our society, we have come to a place that belittles the wife or the mother who wants to stay at home. But that is contrary to what God has said. The home is an important place. It is a place that God intended to give us the things that we need to provide for us. It is the place where we are protected. It is the place of friendship. It is the place of instruction, especially the instruction of the Lord. It is the place in which we can influence other people and bless other people. That's what the home is about. And at the end of Proverbs 31, we have that passage about the virtuous woman. You all know, I think, uh, what passage I'm talking about. Let me just read some of the verses found in that passage. This is from Proverbs 31. So in verse, starting in verse 10, I'm just going to kind of hit some important points here. It says, who can find a virtuous woman, a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Now, I think the problem that a lot of people have with their homes is that it's not like Buckingham Palace. It is just this place, and maybe it's beat up and run down, and we're not happy or satisfied with it, or, or maybe... Uh, what's going on in the home 
is uh, not quite the best of situations. But there's a certain contentment that we are to have with our place. You know, I think maybe if our house was an important castle or Buckingham Palace or some other palace, that we would be more inclined to be there and to make it the best palace or castle that it could be. But because it's not, it's just not that important. But that is not the truth of it. Um, Having a place to live is not about the size of the house. It is not... and, And of course, you know, that doesn't mean that all of our houses are great and we all probably have some things that we could fix in our house. But the, the point is that we come together with our family and we live there and that is our place. And so one of the things that we ought to do is to exhibit or show some measure of contentment with the place that God has provided for us. And so in Hebrews chapter 13, 5, it says, let, us, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. So we have covetousness and we have contentment here and the thing, the truth that delivers us is that God himself, he says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we don't have to desire a better house than we have. We can be content with the house that we do have because God is there with us and he's not going to leave us alone. He will give us everything that we need. So we don't need to fret about our house. Now, as we're going to see, and I'm not going to be able to get to this today, but we're going to see how our homes point to this thing called the household of God. And so that'll be a message that is coming. We have seen in every one of our relationships that it is some kind of pointer, an indicator of God's relationship to us or the whole economy of salvation. And there's, our home is no different uh, from that. So, number three here. First of all, make your home a priority. Second, be content with your place. And third, keep fixing the relationships of your home. Now, remember, we've been talking about relationships for weeks now. And in every, in every message, we are reflecting or showing that we have trouble with our relationships. And, we, and because we have trouble with our relationships, I mean, that's what the whole series is about. Because we have trouble with our relationships, then home, the home often becomes a place that we kind of try to avoid sometimes. Proverbs 21.19 says this, and this is a favorite go-to verse of guys who are not too happy with their wives at the time. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. There's a Geico commercial. I think it's a Geico commercial. Uh, Geico or Progressive, I don't remember who did the commercial, but they're playing hide-and-seek in the desert, right? So one the person turns around and <laughs> all these people, now there's nothing around. There's no rocks, there's no trees, there's nothing, and they're playing hide-and-seek. So she's counting. One person just takes off running in the opposite direction. And of course, I mean, it's just flat and barren, and so, you know, she turns around, so you, can, you can still see him running in the background. There's Where is he going to go? You can't hide there. Another person pretends to be a cactus, and another person hides behind him. Another person is digging a hole as fast as she can, and, and he says, I see you, that hole's not big enough for you to fit in, and on and on it goes. There's just nowhere to hide in the wilderness. And this proverb here is not meant to encourage men to leave their contentious and angry woman, women and go into the, del- the wilderness. Because nobody would want to dwell in a wilderness. And so God is not condoning that or encouraging that. Rather, we see that and things need to be fixed. So we know, we know that. 
We need to, to fix our husbands and our wives. We need to fix our children. We need to fix our parents. We need to fix uh, mothers and fathers. Everybody needs fixing. I was talking with a pastor. This is a pastor in North Carolina years ago. He was, in, he was older than I was because I was kind of young back then. But uh, he had four children. And so this is a pastor. All the children had grown by the time I was talking to him. And he said, yeah, when my children were growing up, I just stayed at the church as long as I possibly could. I didn't want to go home. And you know, he's a pastor saying that. And how many other people are saying that or thinking that? I just don't want to go home because my wife is contentious and angry. My children are out of control. They're not children at all. They're monsters, actually. And I just, uh, just rather avoid them. And so mothers and fathers, wives and uh, husbands stay away from the home more than they ought. Young people, uh, you can't wait till you turn 18 so that you could leave the house. And these are all reflections of the brokenness of sin. It shouldn't be like that. Make your home a place you can't wait to get back to. Make your family the ones you want to be with most. And to do that, you are going to have to be fixing things all the time. Be fixing it. Don't run away from your problems. Our next point here. Keep fixing the relationships in your home. And next, establish wholesome and safe practices in your home. Establish wholesome and safe activities and practices in your home. Don't let your house be the place of sinfulness. The Bible talks about sexual immorality. Here's a verse. Actually, I'm just going to read this verse. This is from Proverbs 7, verses 18 through 21. And it is a seductress who is speaking. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And so the home becomes a place of sexual immorality. In our day, it is so easy to bring inappropriate sexual stuff into the house. And we need to do the best that we can to guard against that. And the place of the house should not be the place where immorality or immoral acts are, are happening. So young people, don't bring that other person into your room and hide it in there from mom and dad while you're being immoral. Don't let any sexual immorality take place in the home. Don't let substance abuse take place in the home. It is not the place for substance abuse or any unwholesome thing. In Acts chapter 19, as the people were coming to Christ, this is what they did. It says, many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. That was a lot back then. It's a whole lot of money today. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and, in, and prevailed. So don't bring these unwholesome things into your home. Husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, do the best that you can to remove anything that is unwholesome or immoral out of your home. 
Make the place, make your home as free from these things as possible. Now, of course, again, we're talking about sinfulness that breaks things. And so we have some work to do maybe in some of these areas, but we need to work it out and remove all the unwholesome and immoral things out of the house. Make it a place that is free from these things. Next, fix up your home. Now, this might sound like an odd, non-spiritual kind of uh, encouragement from me. me. Uh, Clean your house. Fix it up. Take care of it. Young people. Young people. How many of you? I've already asked how many of you are young. Everybody in here is young, right? All right. Teenagers, young adults, if you're still looking at home, if you're still living at home, not old enough. You're not 18 yet. You haven't fled. Don't look to get away from your home. That, that is a, an inappropriate or improper idea to have apart from marriage. You'll have your, your time will come. You're going to have your own house and then you'll see. Young people, don't seek to get away from your home. Young people, don't embrace somebody else's home. Don't adopt somebody else's mother or somebody else's father. Don't make somebody else's home your home. You have a home. Keep your house clean. Keep your room clean. Do your chores. Ask for more chores. Don't get by just you know, doing what you have to. Do more. This is your house too. Make it your house. Make it a better house. Help your mom and dad with the cooking. What? Help them with the cleaning. Help them with the building. Help them with the planting. Help them with the growing. Help them with the mowing. Help them with the purchasing. Help them pay the bills. All these crazy things I'm saying. My, I had a, we had two dogs growing up. A black German Shepherd. She was a big dog. Both of them beautiful dogs. A big black German Shepherd. And a little half Collie, half Cocker Spaniel. Her name was Prisca. They both shed a lot of hair. So I'm, I'm 16, 16 years old, living at home. We have these two dogs, and they shed a lot. And uh, one day, I guess my, my parents decided they were going to let the hair go and see if me or my brother would ever clean it up. So they let it go. And after about a month, now I don't think it was quite a month, I started to notice, why is there all this hair, dog hair all over the place? And, uh, and I did end up cleaning, cleaning it up. But I, I was a teenager, right? So what took, what took a, a couple of days for my parents to notice took me weeks to notice. It's not that I didn't want to help clean up. I just, it's just like, I just didn't see it. So we have to look around when you're young. You have to look around at these things. You have to hear what your parents are saying. And you have to participate in the things that they are engaged in to make the house the best house that it can be. Now, you would think, well, you know, clean up, repair things. That's, is it just about making things look nice? Well, it's not really just about making things look nice and work. It, it is about your character. I'm talking to all of us now. It's, it, it's about our character and it's about our faithfulness. It is our, about our character. Are we lazy or are we diligent? It is about our faithfulness. Are we taking care of the blessings that God has entrusted into our hands. 
For our house is a blessing from God, right? So, Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 through 34 say this. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on and received instruction. Verses 33 and 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So God has entrusted these things into our hands, this house, this place that we live, and we want it to be a great house. But if we are lazy and we're not faithful with what he has entrusted with us with, we are going to lose it. Our poverty will come upon us. And so let us look to the things. Let us clean it up. Let us fix it up. Let us make it presentable. Let us make it a blessing. As a matter of fact, the good home is not meant like everything else that God does. The good home that we have and all the blessings that come into it are not meant for us just to keep it and to enjoy it. God gives us what he gives us so that we can turn around and be a blessing to others. And this is no different. We're supposed to, next, open our home to others. So we need to learn how to make our homes great, a great place to be, so that all who live there are blessed and that all who come there are blessed. And then we are to open our home and be a blessing to others, to our neighbors and to other people. And you have the idea of hospitality, which comes into play here. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. This is important in the Christian life. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. So important is this that it is one of the qualifications for those who want to be pastors. A bishop or a pastor, an overseer of the church, then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior. And look at it, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. And so let it be a place that is open to be a blessing to others. And then our last point this morning, exalt the Lord in your home. Exalt the Lord in your home. Teach about the Lord. Pray with each other. Sing to the Lord with each other. Let Christ be seen in your house for you as a reminder to you and as a blessing to those who come in. Let Christ be seen in your house. Let your devotion to the Lord take place in your home. Going back to Deuteronomy, just to show you know, that this, is, this goes way back. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9 say, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you sh- they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then he says, when I have blessed you with all of these blessings, do not forget me, the Lord says. So when your house is is up and running and it is full of good things and it is a blessing to others. Keep on pursuing the Lord. Do not forget Him. 
He goes on in verse 10, Deuteronomy 6.10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So let us remember the Lord in our homes. Let us look 